and then we're going to dig into the next section of 1 Timothy. Dear Holy Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us enough to give it to us. And Lord, as we open it now, I pray that you would give us clarity of thought to understand it. But more than that, Lord, help us to allow it to challenge us, to change us. Lord, help us to be conformed to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, we left off last week um, where Paul had just affirmed that he had been entrusted with the gospel, right? Um, <clears throat> that, was, that was, in all of Paul's writing, that's the main focus that he deals with. He is constantly going anywhere and everywhere trying to share the gospel. He wants people to know about their need for a savior and the provision that God has given of that. And so he recognized that he had been entrusted with that, and he is reminding Timothy that Timothy also was entrusted with that, but Timothy is facing a challenge. In fact, we all face this challenge of these competing doctrines, the truth and false. Just, I mean, it's as simple as that. There, there are false teachers, and there's the truth, and we need to stand firm on what is true. And he gets done with that, and he begins um, shifting not so much on this doctrinal issue, but something a little bit more personal. And so this next section that we're going to look at, verses 12 through 20, really deal with a, a, a change a little bit in that Paul is, is turning this to a personal letter. See, he's writing to his friend, Timothy, this young man that he's worked with and traveled with, and they've done so much together. And, and at this point in the book, it becomes very, very personal about this. So let's go ahead and read our passage, and, uh, and we'll dig into it. Starts off in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I had to pause there. When's the last time that you thanked Christ? Like the example that I... Do what? This morning? Good, good. Sometimes... It can be a little bit long between times. Like when I was driving along and realized, you know, I see these mountains, this beauty, and I don't pause and thank Christ. So I, I want to pause. Yeah, we're going to come back and we'll read through it. But I want to pause just for a moment and pray and thank Christ for all that he has done. Would you join me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, help us not to take it for granted. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy saying, deserving a full, effect, a full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And yet, for this reason, I found mercy, in order that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the King, eternal, 
immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Paul understood who he was. He recognized what he had come from. We looked at Timothy, and we've dealt with who he was and what was going on with with Timothy. We looked at the gospel and what the love of Christ is that, that was given to Paul and given to Timothy last week. And this week, I want to take just a little bit and recognize a little bit about who Paul is. I'm going to guess most of you know already. You've, you've been around church, you've been through the Bible enough to know, in general, who the Apostle Paul was. So we're not going to spend a ton of time, but I think it's important to recognize a little bit about him. So if you would, we're going to turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3. I think I've got these up. Yes, Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6. Galatians, Ephesians In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is kind of telling just a little bit about his backstory. He says, Although I myself have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He's setting himself up as like, you know, he knows a lot of things. He, he has the ability, he could. Now, obviously in the context, you'll remember, he's basically saying all of this stuff isn't all that important, really. But he's giving his resume. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. Now, that means that his parents were good, God-fearing Jews. Like, even, even the family that he comes from took care to make sure that he was raised right. Of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of ben- Benjamin... A Hebrew of Hebrews, okay? So again, he was raised the right way. He comes from the right family. He has the pedigree that is, is as it should be to be a leader in Jewish culture. As to the law, a Pharisee. He, he hadn't just read it a couple of times. He knew it backwards and forwards. Most likely he had studied it, again, since his birth, as much as he possibly could, to the point that he was in the elite uh, levels of understanding what the law was and what it said and how it was supposed to work. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is by the law, found blameless. Paul did everything right, or at least in this section, that's what his life used to be. Let's go over to Acts chapter 8. Again, I'm, I assume that you know a lot of his, his story, but this was a, was a man who had studied, he had prepared, he was, he was an up-and-coming, rising through the ranks. Um, he was probably on his way to becoming one of, the, one of the top leaders in the country. 
Most likely he would end up, if he continued on the trajectory that he was on, he would have ended up in the Sanhedrin as one of the big leaders, the top dogs in the entire nation. We, we get to Acts chapter 8, and the first couple of verses, I'm not going to read a whole lot, but it says, And Saul was in hearty agreement and putting him, with putting him to death. Saul, whose name obviously later becomes Paul, Saul agreed that this young man, um, Stephen, should be executed. Okay? Not only that, on that day, a great persecution arose and the, against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations. But Saul began raving against the church, ravaging the church, entering houses after house, and dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. Go forward to chapter 9. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from them to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was all about wiping out this, this group that was called the way. He was well trained. He knew his stuff forward and backwards. He was an exceptional Jew. Except for the fact that he was wrong. See, the entire Old Testament is pointing towards a Messiah who is going to come. And Jesus came to be that Messiah to fulfill everything that Paul should have known. He'd studied, he'd learned. And so Paul had rejected that. And instead of following Christ, he was trying to put to death everyone who claimed the name of Jesus. Saul was going the opposite direction of where he should, to the point, as he even admitted, as to zeal a persecutor of the church. Now, we look at the world around us, and we know that there are people that don't like Christians, right? Can you, can you think of any of those maybe areas? I'm pretty sure back on our board we have, um, I had the name of it until I tried to say it, Voice of the Martyrs, that gives stories and lets it be known of individuals who are suffering terrible persecution in the world around us. Now, for the most part, we live in America where there's not a lot of that currently, and we should be thankful for that. But in the world around us, there is tons and tons of persecution. Paul was one of those guys. He was not a very nice guy. If we know of persecutors, what is our attitude toward them? This, this was a thought that I, I ran into as I was studying this and thinking. You know, Paul, we didn't read it, but chapter 9 continues on and deals with this idea that he obtains mercy, that Jesus appears to him and redirects his entire life. And all of that stuff, all of that resume that we just looked at, he lays to the side, and he becomes a follower, follower of 
Christ. Instead of trying to persecute Christ, he becomes a disciple of Christ. Yeah. And so, the thought occurred to me, when was the last time that I truly prayed not for those who are being persecuted, but for the persecutors, that they would come back to Christ, that they would know Christ? Like I said, this, this sermon has a lot of Isaac needed to hear this himself. I don't know, you guys, you may do a whole lot better on that than I do, but so often we hear stories and we pray for the persecuted church in China, in the Middle East, in you know, all of these different places, but do we pray for the ones doing the persecuting? Well, Paul found the mercy, as we read in 1 Timothy. Well, what is mercy? Now, I'm, I'm going to open that one up to to you guys. There, there's lots of ideas, there's lots of, of definitions out there, but when I say mercy, what do you think of? I'm, I'm guessing you're reading my slide. It's okay. Just ignore that for the moment. We'll get there. Amazing grace. We, we often view mercy and grace as very, very close, very similar, and they are. They are. I know you're distracted by ice cream. We'll, we'll get there. But what, what is mercy? It, to me, it's, I deserve something really bad, mm-hmm. but it's not forgiven. Okay. I think I saw another hand. Yeah. Forgiveness. It's a good, that's a good one. Not getting what you deserve. Okay. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Well, mercy is ice cream. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. How many of you have ever decided, I want some ice cream? I want a bowl of ice cream. And you go, you go to the freezer. No, nobody? Okay, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I like ice cream. So do my kids, so they'll understand this one. And you get a scoop of ice cream right? And then you're like, eh, I want a little more. You get a second scoop of ice cream, right? And then you're like, um, you know what would be really good with this? A little bit of chocolate sauce and some sprinkles. And, and apparently Jack used Oreos as an example a lot. Crush up some Oreos on top, maybe some M&Ms, a little whipped cream. And then, then you look at it and you're like, you know, I got too many toppings. I need more ice cream. And you put more. How much ice cream do you deserve? My, my kids, we, we love ice cream. We have a little bit of a, it's almost becoming a tradition, I guess. They have certain assignments and things that they have to do during the week. And at the end of the week, we do a little bit of a review and if, uh, of certain things. And if they're able to hit all of the review things, they get ice cream. That's, that's a reward. It's not quite the same. But how much ice cream do we deserve? How much forgiveness do we deserve? Thank you. None. Wouldn't it be great if when you deserve zero ice cream, you got a scoop? Oh, yeah. Go back to the text. I, 
it'll, it'll connect and it'll make sense, I hope. Even though, verse, verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. He describes himself pretty accurately. He knew the law. And instead of what God had revealed about the coming Messiah, he went the opposite direction. We call that blaspheme. God says one thing, he does something else. He's a blasphemer. And Paul admits to that. Not only that, he persecuted the church. He was a violent aggressor. He attacked him. He, he stood by when Stephen was executed, wrongly. He got letters so that he could go to Damascus and round up all the believers there and throw them in prison, aiming for the same idea of having them executed. He's not a good guy. Yet, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. We'll come back to that in a minute. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. The word there is super abundant. Mercy and and grace are these two words that go very much hand in hand. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Paul deserved to die. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. You guys know this. But he didn't. And instead, Christ gave him mercy. Yes, he had done all those things, but Christ was merciful to him. But then above that, superabounding upon him was this grace that, that God poured out. More and more and more grace on top of him. Just like that bowl of ice cream. We deserve none. In fact, we, we deserve less than none. But God gives us mercy and grace. Gives us a scoop of ice cream. But he doesn't stop there. He gave Two scoops of ice cream, and then all those toppings, and then just that super abundant, more and more and more. And the whole half gallon. There you go. The whole thing. And and poured all the toppings and everything else on top of it. He obtained mercy, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. God poured out on him. And Paul recognized this. Paul understood who he was. In fact, he goes on to say that he is the worst of sinners. Because he tried to destroy the church. Tried to get rid of Christianity entirely. Now most of us probably haven't done that. I I don't know for sure. But I'm guessing we don't have murderers and people who've gotten uh, decrees from others to go execute a bunch of people and round them up and throw them in prison and all of that stuff. I, I don't know for sure, but, but even in that, Paul recognized that the mercy and grace that God was going to pour out was so much more than that. In fact, he says, it is a trustworthy statement. Now, you know that I love little rabbit trails and side trails. This phrase, trustworthy statement, he brings up multiple times. I think I've got a slide. that Yeah, these are the different places where that phrase comes up. And you've got to remember what is Paul trying to do overall with this letter and with the second letter to Timothy and Titus. Well, he's setting these guys up to say, hey, there's false teaching out there. And then there's the truth. 
And this, what I'm about to say, is true. You can take it to the bank. It is of great importance. It is trustworthy. In fact, it says it is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance or deserving of full acceptance. What? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul knew who he was. Paul knew what he deserved. And yet, he recognizes that Christ poured out this blessing, poured out this mercy and grace, this love that we talked about last week, this faith, all of it was poured out on him, not just a little bit, not just one scoop's worth, but more and more and more abundantly, super abundantly. A couple of things that I noticed in this. First of all, that Christ came into the world is one of those phrases where it's just so short and yet he packs so much into that. The the phrase itself really summarizes a whole bunch of John chapter 1. So we're going to, we're going to, rabbit trail, side note, over to John chapter 1 and see what, what is this talking about with this idea that Jesus came into the world. In John chapter 1, I'm only going to read a couple of, couple of verses from it, but Paul made the statement, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In John chapter 1, it starts off with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Then jumping down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I. This trustworthy statement, this phrase that Paul wants Timothy and later Titus and the church really to understand, it's not a lie, it's not some false thing that distracts, this is the point, this is the focus of all that Paul is dealing with. This is the truth, and you need to know it, and you need to understand it, and you need to accept it. It's worthy of all acceptance from everyone What is that? That Christ came into the world. Now, that means if he he came in, he had to be outside, right? Well, that's what we just looked at, this idea that Jesus isn't just some person. He was, we call him the pre-incarnate God. He was before. In fact, he was so much before that he was there at the creation of all things. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made. Nothing came into existence without Christ. So God himself came into the world. For what purpose? For what reason? To save. Go ahead and and say it. To save sinners. Wow. Think about that for a moment. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, 
came into the world for Paul, for you, for me. He came into the world to save sinners. And Paul, the apostle, recognizes this. Among whom I am foremost of all. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm reading through and I read something. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. No, no, that couldn't be. That, that can't be right. Something's not there. So I, I had to go back. This took me a little bit by surprise. He uses a present tense. I am the foremost. And, and Paul doesn't go on the rabbit trails that Isaac goes on. But I think that he is pointing out a major theological idea that he doesn't develop, he doesn't dig into, but he recognizes, I'm saved. I've accepted Christ. I'm saved. I'm made right with God, but I'm not perfect yet. And this is, this is Paul the Apostle. He's growing, he's developing, he's leading the church, and he's saying, you know what? He's still working on me. As a kid, we used to sing a song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Okay, you, you know it. It's, it's a good one. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the earth, the sun, Jupiter, and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Now, theologians will refer to this as a, as a three-part uh, or three Ps of salvation or three Ps of sin. See, when we're saved we are immediately removed from the penalty of sin. God washes away our sin. He makes us right with him. We are justified. We can live eternally. We have received eternal life because we accept Christ. But we're still in the presence of sin. We still sin. Uh, we, we looked during Sunday school at a verse that talks about how that we are a new creation, right? The old has passed away. We are become new, that's true. God immediately makes us saved and a new creature in him. But we still struggle with sin. We still deal with it. If we're honest about it, we ought to recognize, you know, those things that I used to be, I, I still deal with. Um, I, this week I had a conversation with a guy and he's like, I'm, I'm a whole lot nicer now than I used to be. You didn't know me when I wasn't this way. I'm like, yeah, because God made you new, which is awesome. But at the same time, he's still working on him. Well, the, the third, right now we're still in living in a world that deals with sin. We still have to deal with the power of sin because it draws us away. We're saved from the penalty, but the power of sin is still there. And Paul even talks about this war between his flesh and his spirit. And he wants to do what's right. And yet that power of sin is still there and it's fighting and it goes back and forth. Paul the Apostle struggled with it. He knew about it. We deal with the same thing. We're, we're pulled in multiple directions. And then, ultimately, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. So the three Ps are the, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. It's Obviously, theologians like it because it's nice and alliterated and makes a lot of sense. But Paul recognized that he was saved from the penalty Mercy was poured out on him. He deserved death, and yet he had, God had been merciful and gracious to him. And he wasn't going to suffer the penalty of sin, and yet he still dealt right now with the power of sin. We struggle constantly, and I think Paul notices that. He recognizes that. He admits to it. He is still foremost of all. 
that's still who he is. He has to deal with sin. He still has to fight that constant battle to overcome it. But not in his own strength, but in the power of Christ. Because of that grace and faith and love that God had poured out so abundantly. Not just one scoop, but more and more and more with all the toppings. Ultimately, we look forward to the time when we are removed even from the presence of sin and we don't have to deal with that anymore. That'll be a great day. I'm looking forward to that one. But for now, we recognize that we live in a world of sin and yet it is a trustworthy statement and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Sinners like Paul the Apostle, sinners like you, Sinners like me. In fact, Paul goes on in verse 16, for this reason, because he he says, I was foremost, I am foremost. For this reason, I found mercy. In order that in me, as foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe on him for eternal life. Again, Paul recognizes who he was, who he is, and what God has done for him. That super abundance. Not just one scoop, but more and more and more, so abundantly, to allow Paul, not just to avoid the penalty that he deserved, not just to live with Christ, not just to live in Antioch. You, you guys remember the story, right? He gets saved, he spends some time, he does some study, he ends up in a church in Antioch, and he's just part of the church, and he's living there, and he's doing things, and he's serving the Lord. And then one day, the, the Holy Spirit calls him and Barnabas and sets them apart, and the, the elders of the church say, you know what? You need to travel and share the gospel. And they go out on missionary journeys. And Paul, I, I think that he recognizes not only... Did, did Jesus save him from sin and put him in a church and give him these opportunities, but also the fact that God abundantly adds to that, that you get to go to around the world and share the gospel with others and keep giving and keep building and keep working on this church. And Paul recognizes that the reason that Jesus saved him wasn't just so that he could you know, hole up and be his own little person anymore, but so that he could share that gospel with others and spread it far and wide. And so that was the reason that Christ saved him. Well, that same thing's true for us. Whatever it is that we've done, God has forgiven us of our sins. But more than that, he has called us and given us a task, given us a, a job, a mission. We often refer to it as the Great Commission, where we are to go wherever, as we're going, and do something. We're supposed to share the gospel. We're supposed to make disciples, help others become followers of Christ. Well, Paul says, um, For this reason I found mercy, in order that in me, as foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. One of the, one of the items that I wanted to pull out of this and, and recognize is that Paul uses his testimony a lot. He shares who he was and what Christ has done in him. And you know, 
sometimes I talk to folks and they're like, well, I would love to, to you know, be a, an evangelist and share the gospel and get people saved and do all that. But I don't know how. I don't know the words. I, I'm not eloquent. I don't, okay, neither am I. But what Paul does is just uses his testimony. He says, hey, here's who I was and here's what Jesus did for me. And we can do that. If, if you grew up in a Christian home, you can say, hey, God was so merciful to me. I had great parents. I was able to, to grow up as a Christian and to, to go to church all the time and learn and study. And it, it's just so amazing. I, I'm so grateful that I was protected from so much. Or maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. You have not so great a background and story. I'm sure you know what it is, but you look back and you're like, man, I, I didn't used to be so nice. I didn't used to be a, a good guy. Well, no, neither was Paul. And yet the mercy and grace of Christ that he pours out onto us, we can share that. We can just say, hey, here's who I used to be. But God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love for me, saved me. That's all it takes. Paul uses his testimony to help people understand who God is, who Christ is. We have the ability to do the same. So if you're ever out and talking to somebody, just tell them what Christ has done for you, in you. The next thing that Paul does, I find fascinating. He's going through this information. He's like, this is a theological idea that you need to understand. That, that Jesus Christ came into the world, the pre-existent God came into the world, entered his own creation, lived so that he could accomplish something, so that he could save sinners. And what does he then do? Verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and evermore. I think that Paul was completely overwhelmed by what he was talking about. He's writing this letter out, and he just has to stop right in the middle of it and give praise to God. Like I was driving down the road. I didn't stop in the middle of the road. Don't worry. You didn't have to pull me over or anything. But driving down the road, and I just had to stop and, and think to myself, you know, God is awesome. He's amazing. I, I get to see this beautiful creation all around me. And that's just a minor little, little thing. Here, Paul is talking about the creator of the universe and the, the story of salvation and the mercy and grace that God pours out, not only on people, but on him personally, specifically. And Paul just stops and he says, God, you're awesome. You're amazing. You are eternal. You are invisible. We, we refer to that as transcendent. You're like out there so far beyond anything. And yet, you're personal. You loved me. You gave yourself to save me. You deserve honor and glory forever and ever. When was the last time that you just were overwhelmed by a recognition of who God is and what he's done for you? When we pause... And we realize who we were, 
whether whether you've got this great, wonderful growing up history and you, you know never really got crazy and terrible, or whether you really know who you were and what Christ did for you, all of us should pause. Maybe we ought to do that right now, actually, and just thank Christ for what He has done. I'm I'm going to give you just a few moments. We're going to have some silence. And I want you to just think through, what has Christ done for you? Who were you and who has he made you? And then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, as we take just a moment right now in the middle of service to consider and recognize who we were and what you have done for us. Lord, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and the constant going and forget who you are and what you've done. And as we pause now, I just want to thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending your son because of your great love for us. Thank you for sending him because of your great love for me. Lord, forgive us for taking it for granted. Help us to love you, to honor you, to glorify you forever and ever as you deserve Because you are transcendent, you are eternal, you are immortal and invisible and and so awesome. And yet you came to this earth to save us, to save sinners. Wow. Thank you, Lord, so much for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul goes on. And he deals with several other things. And we're, we're going to briefly touch on those. But I, I want to emphasize this idea that it's so easy to take for granted what God has done for us. And I want to encourage you as you go through this week, if you drive up and down Burgess and you see a mountain at either end, I know Burgess is the one of the most active roads, so wherever it is, find something And every time you see it, just pause. Now, keep driving and drive carefully. You can pray with your eyes opened, but, huh? (laughs) Well, as, as you notice something, whether it's a bowl of ice cream or a beautiful mountain, pause and thank God for how awesome he is. Over the last two months, I've started to get to know most of you. And just like me, you're terrible sinners in need of an awesome God. But the beautiful thing is he has given himself for us. And so not only are you terrible sinners, you also have the opportunity. I, I think most of you are. I hope so. If not, by all means, come talk to me. But most of you are saved by grace through faith. And that's why we have this fellowship. We have this body of Christ. We have this family that we get to come together and enjoy and rejoice in and have fun 
pick on each other a little bit. Notice it's always this side that picks. So well, anyway, I love you guys. I I do appreciate it. Keeps me on my toes. We have the family of God because we are saved. Not because we deserve it, not because we're amazing, wonderful, great people, but because of who he is. And that's what Paul's been dealing with here. And he's made this letter very personal as he's talking to his friend Timothy and encouraging him and helping him. And yes, we need to deal with theology. And yes, we've, we have issues and arguments and, and all kinds of stuff going on. And yes, there's troubles out in the world. And yes, we have to fight against false doctrine and all of that. But we can't get distracted. We can't forget this basic thing that Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And so Paul pauses and deals with that. And I think he just, in so doing, gets overwhelmed by recognition of who God is that he stops. He stops the letter. I mean, he's still writing it, but he stops what he's talking about to give praise to God because he's worthy. And then he continues. And real quickly, we're going to hit these last three verses. This command, that the command that he's talking about comes from chapter 1, verse 5. You remember that he, the, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's why he left Timothy where he did. That's the purpose and the point that he's dealing with. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight of faith. You may fight the good fight, keeping the faith. There we go. The strength that we get from remembering what Christ has done is what enables us to carry on, to press forward, to fight this fight, to be able to serve however it is that God wants us to. Sometimes it's like Paul where you travel around and you're a missionary all over the place. Sometimes it's like Timothy where you're left in one place to lead a congregation, to help shepherd the flock. Sometimes it's an individual who just in their day-to-day life has opportunities over and over and over again to interact with people in the world who are sinners that Christ came to save. And you can share that with them and you can help them draw closer. All of us, when we remember who Christ is and what he's done for us, have the ability to use that as our strength to press on and to fight the fight. Unfortunately, there are some that don't. Paul references them in verse 20. Well, we'll, we'll read 19 and 20. Keeping the faith and a good conscience, which, which some have rejected and sh- suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have turned over to Satan, that they may be taught not to blaspheme. When we forget what God has done for us, when we neglect the salvation that we can have through Christ, our lives become shipwreck. Our faith becomes shipwreck. We, we go away from the truth and causes all kinds of problems. And Paul identifies two of these individuals, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And he says, there's nothing I can do. I've, I've delivered them, I've turned them over, I've, I've released them to Satan because that's where they're going, that's what they want, that's their focus. But even in that, 
Paul doesn't give up on them. Why does he say he did that? He, said, he gives the reason for a purpose, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. And I think, this, this is Isaac's opinion, but I think that Paul uses that phrase, that blaspheme, for a very specific reason. Because a little bit before, he said, just like me. I was a blasphemer, but I received mercy. Because Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. I've turned over Hymenaeus and Alexander to Satan, because that's where they're going. But the goal, I want them to recognize that they need to not be blasphemers. They need to not blaspheme God. Just like me, I was the worst of sinners. I persecuted the church. I tried to wipe it out. I wanted to get rid of all of it. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, even these individuals, Alexander and Hymenaeus, that Paul's basically given up on and said, I I can't, there's nothing I can do. But I want them to learn. I want them to understand. I want them to come back. And the reason that I know that that's possible is I was exactly the same way. And God poured out his mercy. He didn't give me what I deserved. Instead, he gave me mercy and grace and love and faith. He gave me bowl after bowl after bowl of ice cream for the whole container And I want him to do that same thing for these guys. Even though they're not where they need to be right now. That's my goal. That's my prayer. And next week we're going to get into some of those prayers that Paul deals with. Paul wraps up this introductory information by referencing back to chapter 1. And the charge or the command that he has given to Timothy. And all of it is about sharing the gospel, of recognition and understanding of who Christ is and what he has done for them. The key takeaway, you guys have probably gotten used to this. I I love scripture, I love studying it, I love understanding it, tearing it apart, breaking it down, trying to understand everything. But when we put it together, what is the takeaway? What do we do with it? I can't come up with anything more important than to praise God. Recognize who he is and what he's done. If you're saved, if you're a follower of Christ, doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, Paul emphasizes, I was the worst, but God saved me. And there's these other people who are not going where they ought to be, but God loves them and can save them. And we need to praise God. Pause and recognize just what Christ has done. And the only valid response is the one that Paul had. There's tons of theology in this. There's tons of stuff going on in it. But if we only allow the theology to be up here, it's of no value. We need to allow it to be here where we love God and we praise Him and we recognize who he is and what he's done. We should praise God, the God of the universe who reigns over all things and came down to earth for you and for me. Let's pray.
Lord, it is so easy to be distracted. And yet, you deserve praise and glory and honor. You deserve our worship. So, Lord, I pray that as we go through this week, we would find something that we see every day to remind us to worship you. And that when we see it, we would pause. Whether it's a mountain peak or a bowl of ice cream or whatever, we would pause and remember who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.